Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 8 o'clock hour in Indianapolis. Jake Query, Kevin Bowen, Sam Fritz in for the vacationing. Mark Dykton, who's hanging out at a Bucky's in Alabama. Uh, before we get to Greg Gregstraw, I meant to mention this earlier. I want to mention it now. You'll get tired of hearing me hear, uh, hearing me mention this between now and the August 12th IndyCar NASCAR doubleheader at IMS on the road course. But for each race, I am allowed what's called a spotter, which is basically just somebody that goes up into the radio broadcast perch and serves as an extra set of eyes. Truth be told, it's just somebody to go up there and hang out and enjoy the race weekend with me. Um, it does include credentials for the media center and the radio booth. And, you know, you basically just follow along. We just hang out for the weekend. And then going up into the broadcast locations for uh, all three races, the Xfinity race, the NASCAR Cup race, and the IndyCar race, the qualifications would be that you've got to be 18 years old, you've got to be mobile enough to get up into the broadcast perch, which does involve not being afraid of heights and, and some minor climbing of a ladder. Uh, but that is on my Twitter account, at Jake Query, J-A-K-E-Q-U-E-R-Y. It is the pinned tweet. Somebody asked me recently if there was anything that I could donate to help out for the kids in the heart unit of Riley Hospital. And so I said, well, I can auction off that experience. That's awesome. So if you would like to be my spotter and hang out for the weekend, you can make a bid up until July 31st. So certainly appreciate anybody that might have an interest in that as a gift or for themselves. Uh, and you got to be able to have a clean – you have to have a clean record as well because you've got to go through security clearance. Ooh, well, there goes my chance. <laughs> you up the list? I just re- re- retweet as well. That's great, Jake. I love well, thank that. you. Thank you. Uh, one guy who has a lot of access at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway joins us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline and getting set for the All-Star Weekend, talking about Greg Rakestraw, who joins us on the program. Greg, happy Friday to you. And the same to you, fellas. Good morning. Uh, let's begin with this. The when I, when I was in school, I don't recall, Greg, and I know that this has been around for a while, but the Junior All-Stars as well, I know that they play an exhibition game against the Senior All-Star team. Do they also play the Junior All-Stars against Kentucky in exhibition? And, and that has been a more recent development. Uh, so I want to say, because we did that game on Sunday, I think this was literally the 12th time that the Indiana Juniors and Kentucky Juniors played each other. Kentucky's Juniors played their seniors last Saturday. So that was like a one-weekend commitment for those kids. For Indiana, basically they select 18. There are six that play in both games, which are referred to as the core six. Then there's like a blue group or a red group, and basically kind of the southern Indiana group or Indianapolis group, they play the kids against Kentucky. The northern Indiana kids then usually play a game that's in the Indianapolis area on Wednesday night. And then now we got a futures game, right, Rick? Which is brand new. So what okay. this is, and that's tomorrow, and basically it is, in theory, make sure I do the numbers right in my head, the top eight freshmen, top eight sophomores, top eight juniors play each other in a north-south game, girls at noon. Uh, then the boys do that at 2 we are not, from an ISC perspective, we're not streaming those two. So we have streams of the games tonight in Owensboro, so I'm uh, shuttling everyone to Moonlight Barbecue and then the actual games itself uh, coming up this afternoon. 
And then tomorrow we'll have the girl-boy doubleheader, Indiana-Kentucky at 5. Futures doubleheader starts at noon. Greg, I know that we kind of belabor this point, and I apologize for that, but I'm fascinated by it. And that is, for a long time now, the the Indiana-Kentucky series has become pretty one-sided in favor of Indiana, which I love, don't get me wrong, but I I think that that combined with the AAU circuits, you know, there are a number of things in play that have probably waned the interest level in totality of the event itself, which is a shame because I think it's a great traditional event. But do you think Indiana will eventually – I don't think the event goes away, nor should it, but does Indiana – begin to tweak or look at tweaking whether or not they play specifically Kentucky or as you and I've talked about in the past could it be discussed that they play say a Chicago all-star team each year or you know Ohio or whatever you know I just I I I think the better option is if for whatever reason the game with Kentucky goes away and and I want to also state this the boys side Indiana has been dominant the girls side has been much more even um, over the last few years. In fact, Indiana Kentucky have split uh, over the course of, of the last couple of years. The boys' side, it has been very lopsided. It has been very much Indiana has been the dominant team. I was part of the committee, and this, this dates back, my goodness, at least 10 years at this point, maybe more. And and this was kind of held at, at, at the field house at the time, saying, okay, if Kentucky goes away, what are we going to do? And, and the, the best idea that I had that I think has the most legs would actually be to play in Indianapolis versus the rest of the state game. Hmm. Um, and, and maybe that line of demarcation, we, we jokingly called the Metro 8 versus the rest of the state. Marion County and the seven contiguous counties, you take their best 12 players and then take the best 12 players from Fort Wayne, South Bend region, Southern Indiana, Terre Haute, Lafayette, you get my point, you know them out. Um, there are other events like the Midwest Challenge that Anthony Leach and the Prep Ball Stars people do. They played it at Attics the same day as the Mini Marathon, um, where they brought in Indiana, Michigan, Illinois, and Wisconsin. There used to be an event, I remember it being in Fort Wayne one year, that it was a force. I think Ohio was a part of that as well. I just don't know if starting now you would have that same rivalry feel of Indiana versus other states. If you had to go in a different direction, I think it's Indy versus Indiana, I think would be the way to go, to be honest with you. It's an interesting um, idea there, Rake. I'm kind of intrigued by that. Greg Rakestraw with us again, ISC Sports Network here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I want to go back to the junior all-star game earlier this week, juniors and seniors at Cathedral, and just get your thoughts on a couple of individuals. It looked like Miles Colvin had a really good game, and then it looked like the other Purdue commit for not – this coming year, but I think it's next year. Jack Benter had a really strong second half. Uh, what did you think of the Purdue guys in that one? Uh, M- Miles has the athleticism uh, in the background where he can help uh, Purdue immediately. Uh, and obviously, he's not going to be asked to be a, a, a dominant factor, but he has the athleticism where he can make that leap from playing high school basketball to playing in the Big Ten and be a kid that can be a playmaker. Um, you know, he was he was solid. Uh, and, and again, when your dad, you know, played at a high level, even in a different sport, when your older sister plays at a play at a high level, in a, even in a different sport, um, you just kind of you kind of know what to do. You know, you, you 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 will you will figure it out and blend in quickly. And the example I'll give you for Miles, he played in the Cal Guy Pro Am last year as a senior to be, 
And that's an event that had pros and Division One college guys, and Miles held his own. So he's went out and found not just great competition in high school, but pretty good competition elsewhere. He's going to be solid. Jack Benner had a great second half, as you pointed out, because he was not good on Sunday. He was, frankly, not good in the first half, but finally got his shots to go. He's a really good player. He plays at Brownstown, which is kind of bumped back and forth from 2A to 3A. But his dad's his coach. His dad was a great small college player at Hanover. And, again, because Jack plays at a high level of AAU, like most of these top kids do at this point, he's going to be ready for, for Purdue, uh, at least as ready as a high school senior can be. Brownstown is upping their schedule this year. They're playing in the uh, Hall of Fame Classic. Them, Kokomo, Brownsburg, Christmas Attic on December 30th. Brownstown is also coming to Carmel to play in early January as well. So they're doing a good job of trying to showcase him, but also kind of get him ready for Purdue. So as per usual, Matt Painter's doing a great job of recruiting the state of Indiana. Speaking of Kokomo, Flory Badunga, we obviously saw a couple months ago just kind of that iconic picture of the 4A state finals of all those coaches front row. I know maybe this isn't your kind of cup of tea, Rake, but you certainly are very well connected. Have you heard anything on his recruitment, any new teams, any teams that stand out as he heads into his final season on the high school scene? I jokingly told somebody on Wednesday, they said, well, what's it looking like? I said, well, there are 363 Division One teams, and they would all love to have him. <laughs> um, I know that Flory went to Michigan before he went to the Pangos All-American camp, which is out in Vegas, I believe, which is why he didn't play in Sunday's game. He was there Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and hustled back to Indy so he could play in the game on Wednesday, and I believe he is set to play in the Futures game coming up tomorrow afternoon. So... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to indicate that Michigan is the front runner, but it is a place that, uh, you know, Juwan Howard was at the game at the 4A state finals, and, and apparently it resonated because he took a visit to Ann Arbor in the last few days. And I assume he's going to stay at Kokomo for his final year? I know that's a question Absolutely. you have to ask with, you know, any of these heralded recruits. No, because of the experience he has had, where that town and really the entire state has embraced him. You know, this is it's, – it, it's not going to be the story of, of Damon Bailey or Romeo Langford, but it's close in terms of, you know, I would imagine he does not play in front of an empty seat this year. Maybe at Newcastle for the Hall of Fame class because it's got 9,000 seats and it's Saturday, December 30th that he's playing. But I know at Kokomo will play in front of an empty seat. And I would imagine on the road places are going to fill up. And I know that he and his family have loved what his experience has been like at Kokomo. And you got to remember, he's got a pretty good head coach in John Peckinpah, who before he was a high school head coach was a college head, college head coach at the small college level. So he's getting great coaching uh, in terms of his high school days as well. So, no, that kid is not going anywhere. He is staying at Kokomo for his senior year. Uh, two things I thought recently I'd heard about him, Greg, and then I'll let you play fact or fiction on these. One sure. of those being that he apparently has said that before he makes a decision, he wants to make an official visit to Kentucky now as a late player. Uh, this, the other being that this may be totally somebody joking around with me, that he also is going to play soccer this year. Have you heard Maybe, either of those heard, two things? I haven't heard either of those, but it wouldn't surprise me on Kentucky. I mean, I, I did the game that Zionsville played at Kokomo on December 20th, and John Calipari and Orlando Antigua both flew in to watch him. 
remember if Orlando was there or not um, for the state finals. I, I think he was. Face at this point. I, th- I thought he was, too, but I couldn't confirm that. The soccer thing, I'm sure the Kokomo soccer program would love to have him. Um, and if you want to have an example of a guy that played in the NBA that was a high school soccer player, you can look no further than George Hill, who was a starting goalkeeper at Broderpool High School. How about Tim Duncan? Yeah. Didn't Duncan play? Didn't he swim and play soccer? And he said that's why his footwork was so good. You would you would assume so. And as I think it'd be great was, if he does that. I think it'd be great. As somebody who's a basketball guy first, and then now a soccer broadcaster, believe me, I can tell you the foot the the, the footwork and then the movement of how you attack to try to score a goal. I tell people that are noobs to soccer. I said, if you know basketball. Think about how you break down a 2-3 zone defense. That's how you generally move a ball in soccer, so it wouldn't hurt. Picturing Mike Woodson sitting behind the goal of a Kokomo Western <laughs> Tuesday night <laughs> soccer match that goes into overtime. I, I um, have, boys, I have seen Tom Crean recruiting Gary Harris at a football game at Hamilton Southeastern, so it wouldn't be the sure. first time. It worked out well. That would happen. Greg uh, Rakestraw with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Rake, you are obviously a soccer aficionado. Uh, explain to us the significance of the Lionel Messi to uh, the Miami MLS club. Uh, it's, it's absolutely massive. Uh, and, and MLS has, I wouldn't say restrictive, um, but very much competitive, balance-enhancing rules in terms of salary cap, money available. Um, you know, the, the top MLS salary is $8.1 million. Good amount of money but not what a guy like Lionel Messi was going to get if he went back to Spain. I was going to even went to Saudi Arabia, which is now more of a player for international players or China or things like that. And so MLS got creative in terms of giving him a cut of some app, of, of Apple TV uh, subscriptions based on watching him play uh, in terms of, you know, Adidas, who is the sole uniform supplier uh, for major league soccer of, giving him a a cut of things like that, too. And so it's basically a bending of the rules, knowing it is for the greater good. Everybody's going to make more money if he is playing here for a year or two. It will go down as the second most important signing in the history of Major League Soccer. The reason it's second is the first is David Beckham. And that is because the league was not on solid ground at all in 2007 when he came over to the L.A. Galaxy. And that changed that league. So the league's in a really good place now, but is it going to be better because Messi is here? Absolutely. And seemingly this is a topic of conversation for anybody who even has the smallest inkling of wanting to, you know, be a soccer fan or, or watch the sport in this country. It's a massive deal. And, again, especially considering now the Saudi influence is starting to come to soccer as well. He could have ended up someplace else. The fact that he is here, that's a major win for Major League Soccer. So, Greg, asking legitimately and not sarcastically, how does it move the needle more than did David Beckham or Pele to the Cosmos? How is it different in terms of the the level of gas left in the tank for either of them? Accessibility. uh, and, And I can't intelligently tell you, you know, from having watched him in terms of how good of a player Pele was when he came here in 75 and basically played, I want to say, through 76 and 77. Um, Lionel Messi is still amongst the best players in the world, even at the age of 35. Um, in terms of Beckham, Beckham was Beckham's a, was a great player, 
was not is not the he's he's not in the Messi Pele Ronaldo Cruyff conversation. Uh, his was was this interesting combination of uh, of a of a great skill set. He's really more of a, of a set piece guy, corner guy, you know, distributor. Uh, where Messi is both a kind of a creator and, and, and scorer. Beckham's kind of more of that creator, more of a set piece guy. But Beckham is also more of just kind of a matinee idol. I mean. You know, he did come over here after they made a movie called Bend It Like Beckham. Uh, that was that was you know an, an international you know phenomenon. Um, Messi is is he a player he was five ten years ago? No, is he still amongst the best players in the world? Absolutely. Okay, Greg Rakestraw with us here, Payless Liquors Hotline. Rake, last one from me. Um, I, I don't. I'm sure you've read enough. I, I get that it's not the top storyline you're paying attention to this week, but you've seen the headlines and you've read enough on where we're at right now from a professional golf standpoint. The Saudis' involvement with that. Um, I just have some general skepticism of what this all is going to look like when it's all said and done. I saw a press release that was very vague and, and very few details, and it seems like there is a long way to go before we actually get something kind of locked in with all of this. What has been kind of your overall thought on how the professional golf landscape has changed in the last week? Uh, I'm not sure I can comprehend it. <laughs> it's got so many layers to it. I will say this. I have always been pro PGA Tour in this versus Live Golf. I'm not sure I've been pro Jay Monahan this entire time. And for those that don't know, that's the commission of the PGA Tour. Um, there were things he said last year that I agreed with. Like, I, I thought his line to Jim Nance on this weekend last year in the Canadian Open was spot on. You ever had to apologize being a member of the PGA Tour? I thought that was accurate. But there were other things that, that he said during that time that I'm like, no, no, I, I, I don't think that's the direction you need to go. Um, and so he, he doesn't look great. But frankly, you know, it, it's interesting because in other sports, we always look at the commissioner kind of – you know, being the front man, the guy that has to take some, some, some shrapnel at times, you know, for the owners. Well, that's really not the case in the PGA Tour. Maybe it might be now. And so this is it, – it, it, it's funny because I, the end result, I feel good for the fans because, in theory, you're going to see all the top golfers competing in the same events, which is what people want. It's the process of getting there that I'm really concerned about. And frankly, and there are people that are smarter than this topic on me, that I'm not sure the legalities will allow it to go through. So it is, it's going to be a long road to get there. Again, I'm happy for the fans, but I'm still sweating the details and not liking a lot of, I think, what the details are going to come out to be. Are they going to play – Here's the dumb non-golf guy question, okay? Do we know for a fact that now this continues on and it's kumbaya under one umbrella and the outside fan doesn't even really notice a difference? Or are we going to start seeing live golf rule tweaks, you know, different scoring mechanisms, teams, whatever else, like they had done in that, and are they, are they just going to bring that now to PGA? Do we know? Listen, I, I, I've always said the team score stuff was crap. That it was just a way to try to differentiate their product. I, I think what it really comes down to is appearance fees for the top guys and some no-cut fields where you're guaranteed to make money. Um, and, and, and the gargantuan money for Live Golf was because the Saudi Investment Fund, frankly, had it. 
and it was the way to guarantee guys to leave the PGA Tour, to leave where they were making several million dollars to then making tens Absurd million dollars. Absurd million dollars, right. Right. So that, that, you know, you're adding an extra zero on the back end of that. Um, so, so, so do you, I mean, the PGA has a two-man team event in New Orleans now every year. Does the PGA Tour now have a couple of events where it's, it's a four-man team event or a three-man team event maybe? Um, I think what you'll start to see now is guaranteed appearance fees for guys. Uh, I think which, which, again, takes away some of the drama of you didn't make the cut, you're not making money. Um, do, does the PGA Tour go to, go to you know, 54-hole no-cut events? Not across the board, no, but at, at sometimes, yes. And, and where I really think the, the live factor will come in, I almost think the live will almost be like an exhibition tour. In other words, again, where kind of where the live almost kind of like, you know, merges dates with like which, what we call the European tour, which is now called the DP World Tour, and I think you can see the, the top American players, especially in the in the fall and early winter, start playing those events globally um, with with the core of their schedule being here in the states from say January, February through the end of August, which would be the FedEx Cup playoffs. Jake, I think to your question, the answer is we don't know, and I think that's what's so confusing about it all. Yeah, it's right. just like we have no idea what exactly this is going to look like, and you know, putting morals aside. I just hate, and Rick, I think you and I are on the same page, I hate the competition of live golf. I hate the no-cut. I hate the 54-hole event. I hate the appearance fee. And you don't really earn anything with your play outside of, yes, you do earn money, but in terms of status, in terms of getting into you know majors and playoff events, that's what I've always enjoyed about the PGA Tour. Ricky Fowler had a hell of a career in 2014-15 and then didn't play good golf, and he didn't get into these events. Now he's starting to play better golf again, that aspect, David Duvall, he fell off a cliff. Well, just because his name was David Duvall and he was once ranked number one in the world didn't earn him the status that I think nowadays he would get, and that's what I kind of enjoyed about golf. Now, David Duvall was the guy that was ripped like the Michelin man, right? Uh, what, I kind of know him as the Oakley dude. Wasn't he, like, shredded? I, I don't. Rick, would you call Duvall, like, shredded? No, David. David was a little pudgy, and then lost weight and became less of a golfer. So that's my. But I thought, isn't David Duvall the one that like had like huge biceps and like got super muscular like oddly in the last? And then are you thinking Bryson DeChambeau fell off a cliff? No, like David Duvall was like the number two golfer in the world, right? And then just kind of disappeared, right? Yeah, I just think of him as Oakley guy. Right. He he had that odd sun, you know, you know, face sunline tan because of his Oakleys. That guy, yes. Rake, safe travels to Owensboro. Thank you, fellas. Greg Rakestraw, Indiana, Kentucky All Star Weekend. Someone brought this up in the chat, Jake, and I thought this was an interesting point. Does the lack of Indiana, Kentucky as a college basketball rivalry contribute to the lack of interest in the high school game? No, I think one thousand percent. And let me explain. before college basketball recruiting and college basketball in general became a a, a national, again, the world was a smaller place. Actually, I guess the world was a bigger place back in the day. And so if you grew up in Indiana, the odds were pretty high that you were going to play collegiately at Indiana or Purdue or maybe Kentucky, Louisville, or like Michigan State. 
And if you grew up in Kentucky, the odds were pretty high that, that like the Kentucky roster always had Kentucky kids on it. And then Rick Pitino came and the landscape of Kentucky basketball changed where all of a sudden then they started recruiting kids out of New York and Kentucky was, a, it's always been a national brand, but the recruiting aspect of it became more national to the point where the Kentucky roster has very few kids from Kentucky. The Kansas roster has like very few kids from Kansas, et cetera, et cetera. And so there was absolutely 1000% an element of the Indiana Kentucky all-star game that was captivating to people because it was a precursor preview of what you saw in terms of the Indiana Kentucky or Purdue Louisville rivalries moving forward for the next four years. And when you had the occasional defector, you know, Kyle Macy going to Kentucky, Jim master going to Kentucky, you know, when you had that, that added to the spice and the intrigue of it, you know, Sean Kemp announcing for Kentucky, those things certainly spiced it up. No question about it. Absolutely. And then, once it got to the point where you started seeing like the Kentucky Mr. Basketball is going to Western Kentucky and the Indiana Mr. Basketball is going to Michigan State, it just, you know, it waters it down a little bit. Indiana Mr. Basketball going to Notre Dame this year. Marcus Burton out of Penn. I don't believe the Kentucky Mr. Basketball is actually playing in this weekend's game. I probably should have confirmed that with Rake, uh, but I believe that is, I, I think it's a college obligation, which that is now, of the many reasons why I just think the series continues to lack juice. That is part of it, is these colleges, some of these colleges want their guys on campus earlier and earlier for their respective summer programs. Uh, all right, we're going to have George Bremer join us at 9. We'll get to that Jonathan Taylor contract debate with George, who covers the Colts for the Anderson Herald Bulletin. And look ahead to minicamp. The final week of the Colts offseason program is on the horizon. For now, though, let's hit a morning check down. The morning check down. On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. I'm actually going to begin with a little college softball. The Oklahoma Sooners, for the Boomer. third straight year, are your college softball World Series champions by defeating Florida State 3-1 to last night. So the Sooners, who kind of started to catch some heat over being, um, would you say cocky? Overly Well, you win 53 straight. How are you not? Yeah, I mean, no argument there. But congratulations to the Oklahoma guys. Major League Baseball yesterday, Dodgers over the Reds, 6-0. It was Chicago, that'd be the White Sox, splitting a doubleheader with the Yankees. I'm looking at the local Midwestern teams here. Uh, Angels over the Cubs, 3-1. Baltimore Orioles, hey, come root for me. That's all the cute fellas saying on the, on the hat, and that's why we root for them. 6-3 over the Brewers yesterday, and the Omaha Storm Chasers, 15-7 over your Indianapolis Indians. I mentioned earlier, Quentin Nelson had quite the windup on the first pitch. I still haven't seen where that pitch went, though. I would like – typically when they just show the windup, does that mean the pitch wasn't very good for the first pitch Probably. person? You know, the, I did a first pitch once. Lefty, and let, by let the way, tell, Quentin let Nelson. Let me say this. Rowdy doesn't have a, a whole – a great range of motion. Oh, Rowdy was your catcher? I thought yeah, they usually I, have a player. No, I had Rowdy, and I'm like, look, man, like – Move a little bit left or right to make me look halfway yeah, decent. Have you ever here. been in that costume? It smells. I would love to be a mascot for a day. I, that's my, my really my dream job. Someone say you are for three hours on the show every day. <laughs> okay. Speaking of baseball, Indiana State on the diamond down in Fort Worth. The Super Regional begins 5 o'clock first pitch. That is on ESPNU. Again, it's a best of three series to get to Omaha for the Sycamores. 
So game one today, game two will be 6 o'clock tomorrow, also on ESPNU. If there is a need for a game three, that would be on Sunday. TCU, by all accounts, one of the hottest teams in college baseball right now. They have won eight straight. I think they've scored double-digit runs in seven of those eight. They scored 20 runs in a game against Arkansas, who was the number three seed, but... Here you go. Uh, the most northern team left in the baseball college baseball World Series is Indiana State. And I saw this, Jake. Um, really, go really, trees. really cool gesture. Obviously, we've seen TCU already raise a ton of money for Special Olympics, which is a big reason why. Terre Haute is hosting the uh, Summer Special Olympic Games this weekend. Big reason why they cannot host the Super Regional. Not only have they raised over 20000 for Special Olympics, $1 from every purchase at the concession stands will also go to Special Olympics. Yeah, that's so cool. So major, major, major kudos to TCU, their athletic department, their community that makes you for kind what of, they've done. I mean, obviously not in this scenario, but in other ventures, it makes you kind of root for TCU. Hey, you know winner I mean? of this Super Regional, that's who I'm pulling for in yeah, the College World exactly. Series. Good way of saying it. Good way of saying it. Uh, NBA Finals, did you mention that already? I did not, no. Uh, heat, uh, heat and Nuggets. Game number four tonight at 8.30, of course, pretty much a must-win for Miami, right? To try to square things up at two games apiece after the Nuggets really seize control midway through the third quarter in game number three. So I personally think it's probably over now, but if Denver wins tonight, it's assuredly over. Game five will be Monday out in Denver. Speaking of the other final, it would be the Stanley Cup final on the board. Brendan King's bunch. They scored late, late in regulation last night. Uh, I couldn't make it into overtime, but that third period was outstanding from an entertainment standpoint. Tied it up at 2-2, and then uh, about five minutes into OT, the game winner. So the first win ever, first Stanley Cup final win ever for the Florida Panthers. You watched the whole game and then punted on the overtime? Yeah. I, I mean, it is still hockey. Yeah. I think that's extremely wow. unfair to hockey. I want to say the third – boy, I could have sworn it was like 11-10 maybe when I threw in the towel. Yeah. I care about how this show is going to function for a three-hour period, and I needed my six hours of sleep. Let's see what my Fitbit says I got last night on a sleep standpoint. Sam, did you watch it? Aren't you kind of a hockey guy? I Well, I just kind of think that hockey is a way more entertaining sport than people give it credit for being. I mean, it's fast-paced, slick soccer. No, that's right. Yeah, I love it. With um, with more you know action on goal. Yeah, I, I tune in when I can. I do not have any sort of cable package, so the ways in which I tune in, I cannot disclose over radio. Oh, sounds uh, shady. TNT is where you're at right now for the Stanley Cup Finals. Four hours and 22 airways. minutes of sleep last night. 422. You got to get those numbers up, man. This 9 o'clock right. hour should be six, interesting, six Sam, based off that. Uh, on the other side, uh, again, great news. If you are Tom Allen, we'll explain why the IU football coach should be very happy with yesterday's announcement. And we'll continue to talk a little bit of Colts. And an interesting solo workout for the Pacers. They've had solo draft workouts at different parts of this draft cycles. We are less than two weeks away. This name, though, not one that you would think to be in the top 10. We'll do that on the other side. Kevin and Query, 93.5, The Fan. You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. 
All right, the Colts wrap up uh, their OTAs this week. One week left in their offseason program. It'll be a three-day minicamp to conclude things coming up next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And George Bremer, who covers the Colts for the Anderson Harrell Bulletin, does a great, great job. He joins us now on the Payless Sickers Hotline. George, with this Dalvin Cook news, sounds like he could be released uh, from the Vikings today. We've been kind of debating the impact on the Jonathan Taylor front with that news. So I, I'll ask it and kind of ask you to wear two different hats. How would you handle Jonathan Taylor's contract extension, and how do you think the Colts will handle it as he heads into this final year on his rookie deal? Yeah, I mean, these running back situations have been sticky for a while now in the league, right? I mean, I think everybody's seen the way that market, the bottom just kind of fallen out of it. Uh, but those top guys continue to seem to get the money. And then this situation just plays out again and again and again. You see Cook on the, the market now. Um, it seems like very few of these guys get to the end of that second contract with their team. I think... If it was me, you know, I'm in charge and I can work it out with his agent. I think like a three-year deal right now, uh, if you can get the running backs kind of into that market, might be the best way to go. Get it before they turn 30. Almost like 27, though, now. I, mean, it's, it's, I think that's how old Cook is. It's crazy how early that's going. Uh, but I think if you can get it more on that like three-year cycle instead of maybe that five-year cycle, I might look that way. Uh, but I think the Colts are probably going to go with that uh, five-year deal or something in that range. Uh, it sounds like they really, you know, are committed to to getting Jonathan Taylor uh, the contract that that his season in I guess 2021 would really dictate. You know that he has. Um, I just think that this the running back situation you just see it all the time. These guys sign these mega contracts and within a couple of years they're, they're back on the market and they're playing somewhere else you know the to this point george the reality is that jonathan taylor has not you know it's not like he's shown that he has he has a lot of mileage on there's a lot of mileage on the on the tread right but he hasn't necessarily shown it i mean one would assume though kevin you mentioned it earlier i think it's a good point you don't want to commit too much just because the reality is that it seems inevitable that eventually Father Time's going to jump in, right? Well, it's like Dalvin yeah. Cook. Five years have turned into three yeah. years. Yeah. Absolutely. And you go back to Wisconsin, I mean, to Jake's point, uh, the mileage on yeah. Taylor is phenomenal. And yet, and you, you, know, you get a little bit last year with, with the ankle injuries. I don't know that that's necessarily due to the wear and tear right now, but it does make you wonder if it's going to accelerate, you know, the inevitable there. It's George Bremer. He's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. George, the preseason schedule, three games for the Colts, August 12th, 19th, and 24th. The 19th will play the Bears. It's actually a nationally televised game on NFL Network. That will be right after the joint sessions with Chicago. Then the next Thursday, they'll play Philly. They'll have a joint practice with Philly two days before. That will also be nationally televised on Amazon. I, I look at those two games, George, and I think to myself, boy, they're going to be nationally televised, but how much are the starters going to play? Because if you follow past precedent, teams that do the joint practices, and mainly the Colts, they then don't really play their starters at all in those preseason games that follow the joint practices, do you think the presence of Anthony Richardson would change that normal line of thinking? 
Yeah, that's going to be really interesting to see. There's no doubt you get into these these joint practices and then those guys get a ton of work. They get more than they would in a regular preseason game. Obviously, it's non-contact, so it's still not completely the same as it would be in a preseason game, but it's definitely something I think the coaches like. Blow that whistle early. You can script the exact scenarios that you want to see. Uh, and then you get out there on, on the preseason game and the starters just watching the sideline. I think it be really interesting to see how they handle Richardson. The number one thing that they've said really from day one when they drafted him is experience is, is really what he needs. That's what they're most focused on. So he's going to get a ton of snaps in environments where at least he's going to get different looks from defenses. And the thing about those joint practices is they'll show more than they do during a preseason game too. So he's going to see – more complex coverages, he's going to see hidden you know, disguises, things like that. Uh, they might not see it's much more vanilla in, in the preseason game, but at the same time, you want him to feel that pass rush. It's that balance. You don't want him to get hit too much, but you're going to want him to get some work. I would think you'll still see him more than you would see you know, a Phillip Rivers or Carson Wentz or, or any of the guys in the last couple of years who've been more established in the league. I think you're still going to want to get him out there. Maybe it's just a quarter, but I think you're still going to want to get him out there and let him be in that environment, let him go, you know, get those life bullets for a little while. Then you got the, you know, the storyline of, okay, if you're starting him, do you play Ryan Kelly a lot in the preseason? He's your oldest guy on the team. All of these storylines will be interesting to watch come preseason. Again, George Bremer's with us, covers the Colts on a daily basis, at GM Bremer on Twitter. Um George, I asked Shane Steichen this earlier in the week. He didn't want to go there, but hopefully you will indulge me. Kind of a target date in camp of when you think we will see a starter emerge. If you believe Steichen right now, they are continuing to split reps. So when you look into late July, early August, again, the preseason games are the 12th, 19th, and 24th. Give me a date range that you look for that we see one of those two start to kind of dominate the first team reps. Yeah, you know, I I think it'll be that final week. I think that's what you've seen around the league with a lot of these other places where there's been true competition and, and you really don't know how it's going to turn out uh, because you've got that extra, I hate to call it a bye week, but you've got that extra little week now in the preseason after that third preseason game. You usually do cuts that weekend, and then they have a week that's sort of like the regular season that isn't yet. Um, I would think right at the start of that week is, is when you'll get that person named and then it'll be a game week. You know, you just come in and, and hand the starter all the reps. Uh, and after that, as you know full well, those twos and threes don't see a lot of time. Uh, that, that's one thing I think they're going to consider as they make this, this decision. Uh, you know, if Anthony Richardson's not the starter, uh, you won't see a whole lot of reps even in practice until they do make that decision down the road. You got to believe, though, even if Minshew is the starter at the beginning of the year, which is very possible, there's going to be some kind of package in there for Minshew, some sort of, or for Richardson, some sort of, you know, group of plays, whether it's short yardage, red zone, well, red zone's probably his biggest challenge right now, but whatever they want to look at, uh, that, that say, okay, we're still going to get him in there, we're going to get him some reps, even though he's not the starter. When you look at the receiving core, George Bremer. And you look at Anthony Richardson, and let's let's assume that Anthony Richardson does 
we're going to go like total rose-colored glasses here. He 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 acclimates. He has a great camp. He's ready to go week one, and he's starting to show the promise that the Colts expected of him. Just based on the way he plays, his mobility, and the new receivers that are in the mix, the Colts' passing game looks different in terms of like, I don't know if verticality is a word, but it looks different in what way than what we have seen for the last few years, or does it? I, I do think there's going to be more aggression, you know, more more deep balls. Even in practice, you've already seen he's not afraid to, to really let that go. Rashad Perriman had been there, I think, two days, and he throws a 60-plus yard bomb to him early in that second session. So, you know, I think he's going to be more aggressive in his mindset. I think Shane Steichen's going to be more aggressive in, in terms of his play calling. You, you look back to Philly, you know, they're not afraid to take those deep shots. Uh, the thing that's really tough right now with that receiving crew is three of the top four or five, however you want to, you know, line that up, weren't out there last week. And Pittman, Pierce, and, and rookie Josh Downs. And Pittman and Downs haven't been out there, I think, since we've been watching open practices. So maybe Downs was the first one. Uh, but I think the entire time they haven't been there. And then add Jelani Woods into that mix, who hasn't been out there all spring. And I think that's that's another factor here that, that's going to make things difficult as they get into training camp and they start to try to decide who the starting quarterback is. Richardson's gotten very little time with some of these top guys that theoretically he'll be throwing to in week one if he wins this job. It's funny, George. You, I know you and I both sit there at practice and kind of chart things. I'm chart, charting like who they're completing balls to in practice, and it's like Malik Turner, Vincent Smith, Rashard Perriman, like Zach Moss caught six balls the other day or something like that. I and mean, it's like not a lot of these guys. I mean, Moss will be there come week one. But to your point, it has been a bummer uh, from a really Minshew or Richardson standpoint. They haven't gotten the work with the guys that you would expect to be there. Uh, again, George Bremer is with us here at GM Bremer on Twitter. B-R- Jeez, I should know how to spell your last name. E-M-E-R. Thank you, Thank uh, you Jake, for that. Um, he joins us here on the Bayless Lickers Hotline. George, a couple of corners to watch. Obviously, the Isaiah Rogers news, I don't expect him to be playing for the Colts in 2023. Um, you've got a couple other injuries at that position. Outside of Kenny Moore, I would say this is great news for Dallas Flowers and any other corners to watch uh, moving forward. Yeah, Darius Rush's name is going to come up a lot because, you know, he's a guy that some people feel like was drafted a lot later than expected. Uh, another one of these outstanding athletes, you know, fits that Gus Bradley mold of, of what they want. Big physical guy. Uh, he's also been banged up a little bit. Haven't seen him out there in a couple of weeks. Uh, but I think he's got a really good opportunity. And then Daryl Baker Jr., uh, who we've seen a lot of in the most recent practice out there, just guys that that don't have, in, in many cases, any snaps yet in the NFL. But even in Flowers' case, you're talking about really the last month of the year where he was getting out there on defense, you know, in, in any level. And he's another guy that that's very young in his career. He's uh, I think he's 25 or 26 because uh, he was in college for a while, bounced around, went to a lot of different levels, but it's not been very long at all that he's been playing football because I think he was really focused on basketball early on and you know even shorter period of time than that that he's focused in at corner so I think that's the way the NFL always seems to go though you know a lot of focus when when it was revealed that Rodgers is the guy who was the target of this investigation was the opportunity that he let go 
and it was a huge one for him this year. Probably would have been a full-time starter for the first time, had a chance to, you know, going into a contract year, really make a name for himself. Now that opportunity falls to guys like Dallas Flowers, Daryl Baker, maybe even Jalen Jones, the seventh-round pick, can get his name in the mix as we get into training camp. Uh, and a lot of young guys with what looks to be a pretty wide-open competition right now. George, when would you, if you had to guess, we will have resolution on the situation with Rodgers like when? I would think before training camp at the very latest, uh, but maybe even as early as a week or two. I was going to say like, before 4th of July, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I feel like when, when you get these leaks, it's sort of like in, in any other area, the investigation's usually either done or pretty close to it because somebody's turned in a report, and that's how you're getting details like this most of the time. Uh, so, yeah, I would think before the 4th of July, at the very latest, you think they're going to want that settled by the time this team gets to training camp and they know, they'll know you know what the roster looks like and, and how they're going to have to set things up. Three-day minicamp coming up next week. George will be out there alongside myself and some others as we cover the final week of the off-season program. George, always enjoy the conversations, man. I will see you on Tuesday. No problem. Thanks a lot, guys. George Bremer, Anderson Harold Bolton, does a great, great job right there on the Payless Lickers Hotline. One other corner name I'd throw into those he mentioned, Tony Brown. Um, was on the team last year. Some crazy hair, crazy special teamer flying down there. I think he would be a name to keep an eye on as well. It's unfortunate, Jake. The Warren Central second-round pick, Juju Brents, uh, that just he is unable to participate this spring due to a wrist surgery he had back earlier in the offseason because, you know, no Rodgers, a couple other injuries around him. This is just a great time for Brents. And honestly, he still will have ample opportunity to cement that starting job, but – Right now, uh, I think you pencil him into your starting lineup. So I've had this dream, kind of recurring dream, for about, years. About Bob the Stretcher? <laughs> what, what, what do you find so odd about the fact that Bob, who's a trainer, does stretch? Like, like NBA games. You go to an NBA game, you see the guy, he's laying on the floor, and there's the trainer that's like lifting his leg up and yeah, stretching it you're back. You're not Jokic. Well, I'm yoked. Oh, I don't know if you know that or not. God, dear Lord. I mean, I listen, Kev. The 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 beta blockers have hurt me a little bit in terms of the the donut here in the middle, but but for the most part, for fifty, like I, I mean, let's face it, I look good. People tell me that all the time when I go out, and they're, and they're, then they're stunned to find out it's a spray tan because they're like, most of you just naturally is impressive. Forty one minutes, Kevin. Forty one <laughs> um, minutes. Hello, weekend. There are two dreams that I've had forever, one of which I think most people have. Do you ever have the dream that, like, you're going in to take a final and you haven't been there all semester and you know you haven't been there all semester and, like, you haven't turned anything in? You're like, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to pass. My dream is I forgot my golf clubs at the state finals. Okay. Most of us on the broadcast crew of the 500 have a dream that we get up to the turn and we don't have our headsets or Boy, we're stuck. Yeah, that's not, that's not good. But one of them that I've had is – I've had this dream where I get like a tryout for the Pacers and I just shoot the ball really well. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm actually going to make this roster. Like I, I've just been in the zone and they haven't figured out yet that like I really can't play, but I've just shot the ball well. Can't guard I, anybody. He's going to fit the Pacers real well. Yeah, exactly. But, and you wonder if for certain guys in the NFL, 
if they all if they go into it wide eyed and like incredulous that they're there, but then the further they go along, due to attrition of their position, they just keep getting opportunity and they don't screw it up. And before they know it, they're like, I, I think I'm like here to stay, and that happens. A, a confidence is kind of raised based on their own inability to grasp what's going on, which is to their to their advantage. And like you look at young players now at the cornerback position, Kevin, they're going to have that opportunity to go out there and they're probably like, I, I didn't think I was going to get this many reps this early on, but let me just go through this. And by the time they realize what's at stake for them, they've already gotten into the routine and the habit of doing it the right way. And so they avoid that mental game that blocks so many guys out, if that makes sense. What's the greatest ability? I don't know, but I bet I have it. Availability. That is true. You know, Darius Rush is a name that George just brought up, okay? So for those unfamiliar, Juju Brent's the corner from Warren they took in the second round. Darius Rush, a corner out of South Carolina they took in the fifth round. I mentioned this after the draft. I thought Rush had a great advantage to him in the spring in that he was healthy, unlike Brent's. So, Jake, he was going to get 13 practices in front of the coaching staff to make a first impression. And when you're a rookie and you make a strong first impression, there's always skepticism with young players. If you could do that, now all of a sudden you've got the leg up when camp opens at Grand Park. Well, now, like George said, Darius Rush has missed kind of the last two weeks, and I think that has maybe stunted some of that. But, I mean, coaches, all they're thinking about is who makes me sleep well at night. And guys you trust and earn that trust, again, being available. So, um, it's going to be interesting come camp in that it's kind of been a quiet spring for a lot of these rookies, more from a health standpoint. Again, Richardson obviously is in a different camp, but you haven't seen Brents. You haven't seen Josh Downs since rookie mini camp. Uh, again, Darius Rush has missed the last couple weeks, so we'll see when camp rolls around the differences on that front. I still am laughing at the, and I took it as a compliment, that you think I look like Southern Indiana today. <laughs> you do. You've got on the Pabst hat. And the Indiana State Larry Bird T-shirt. That's a I sweet shirt, by the way. Trying to make sure that the uh, YouTubers. That Pabst hat is awesome. Yeah, this is great. I really like it. You think Indiana State will have a contingent down there in Fort Worth? I would hope. You know, he, here's the 12-hour drive. Here's the contingent they're going to have, Kev. What other teams are playing there? Oh, that, that that's it. It's just two-team. It's just the two teams? Yeah. So there's uh, eight. I was thinking it was a super regional and there were like four teams total. No, no, no. Eight uh, two team sites and okay, it's then, best two then, out Yeah, three. That, that's tough because I was going to say if there were two other teams there that had to go down there, they would, you know, everybody would be rooting for Indiana State that's not TCU, yeah. right? But yes. again, I'll give credit to TCU because in a difficult situation where they backed their way into a home game, They've played it about as well as you can oh, of, of showing an understanding of it and and the amount of money they've raised for Special Olympics yeah, continuing to do that with concession sales. Yeah, we started with sixty four. We're down to sixteen in the baseball tournament. They are eight two team super regionals. The winner of each of those eight head to Omaha. So that is what Indiana State will be going for. First pitch five o'clock today on ESPNU. Boy, John will be locked into that final hour of the show. 
John will be watching probably live on GameCast, right? Oh, he'll be on ESPNU on, and I guess he could be remote today. He'll certainly have on ESPNU wherever. It is cool. It's very cool. And I told you, if they go to Omaha, hats for everybody. I love it. You don't need one, though. You got that sweet Pabst hat. Yeah, I got Sam Fritz right. is wearing his sweet City of Indianapolis hat, but I'll get him an, I'll get him an ISU hat instead of you. <laughs> well, thank you. How's that? Thank you. Uh, time for a morning check down. The morning check down. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Major League Baseball yesterday. Dodgers over the Reds 6-0. Clayton Kershaw 8-4 now. He went seven innings, no runs. No surprise there. Five hits, two walks. Uh, it was elsewhere in Major League Baseball yesterday. The Guardians over the Red Sox 10-3. The White Sox and Yankees split a doubleheader. That was a doubleheader necessitated by the poor air quality from the Canadian wildfires in the New York area. That same situation again postponed the Washington Nationals and their game against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Cute fella, 6-3 winner over Milwaukee. It was the Angels over the Cubs 3-1 and the Omaha Storm Chasers. Speaking of Omaha, 15-7 over the Indianapolis Indians. Last night, game three of the Stanley Cup final. I'm sitting there watching the third period thinking, man, I should honestly watch more playoff hockey. The entertainment was outstanding. Uh, and the Florida Panthers got it done. They forced overtime with about two minutes to go in the third period. And then five, they staved off a uh, penalty as well. And then about five minutes into that extra period, they score, they get on the board, 2-1 Vegas leads, and that series, Game 4, will be tomorrow night. And Jake, Game 4 is tonight. Denver is favored by 3.5 of the NBA Finals, and if I had to guess, based off what you've said earlier in the show, you're going with the Nuggets tonight? Yeah, I, I think, again, I, I know that I've said all along, it's tough to bet against Eric Spolster and Jimmy Butler. You know, those guys are, are and Miami's got a tough mentality about them, but I, Denver's awfully strong. And I think that was a back-breaking loss to see, especially in the third quarter, the way Denver just took advantage of Game Three and pulled away. That was the that was one of those emotionally breaking losses, and I would be surprised if Miami comes back from it. We shall see. You know, I, I tend to agree with that, but then I feel like I've said that seventeen different times about Miami in these playoffs. Ah, oh, they're done. Yeah, they can't. No, no, they're over. They're finally going to look like an eight seed. Yet, time and time again, they do it again. But we'll see. They certainly need one more in terms of a third guy supporting Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler. You would think if that's going to happen, it would happen at home. We'll see if one of those undrafted dudes have one more in them as Miami desperately needs that one. Our coverage begins tonight at 7.30 for Game 4. Uh, we mentioned this a little bit earlier. Jake, shout out Boomer Sooner. It is a 50, was it 53 game win streak? They have 61 wins on the year. Uh, Oklahoma, the College World Series winners for softball. Boy, that complex looks beautiful. I don't know if you watched any of it last night. Packed. I think it's Oklahoma City, by the way, so that probably helps. Uh, But a really, really good-looking complex down there. And uh, Oklahoma gets it done. 3-1 winners over Florida State. I didn't realize, by the way, Norman, Oklahoma is essentially a suburb of Oak City. Is it really? Yeah. I mean, it's not very far. And then Stillwater is nowhere near that. Stillwater, I think it's like an it's like Lafayette to here. You know, Stillwater is home of uh, Eskimo Joe's Jump a Little Juke Joint. I have no idea what Eskimo Joe's is, but it's a bar in Stillwater. And like in the mid '90s, their T-shirts became really popular. My high school golf teammates played at Oklahoma State, which is like the Duke of college golf. He was a walk-on, but did he ever go to Eskimo Joe's? 
Um, I'm going to venture to guess. He might have got a little juice right there. Scott Johnston, Shout out Brad Gale. Scott Johnston dressed in honor of you Look today. Look at that, Scotty, the athletics. That is a great-looking jersey. You walk over here and show the YouTube audience that, Scotty? That looks beautiful. I don't know if you know this or not. Based on the 2023 Oakland Athletics, Scotty bought the jersey and the hat off eBay. These are game-worn, authentic Oakland Athletic jerseys. Part of the reward for buying that jersey, Scotty, starting on Tuesday. Right? Sam, you're not laughing at that, are you? I, I held Scotty. it in. I, I did find it funny. Yeah. Scotty's warming up over there. <laughs> How about this in transfer portal news? Uh, remember Paul Mulcahy for Rutgers? Yes. The white dude to the headband that I feel like was biting players on the floor at times. Uh, shockingly, he did not keep his name in the NBA draft. I'm stunned he didn't earn a lottery distinction. Uh, he's entering the portal. Should Indiana use their last scholarship on that dude? That guy, he's not good enough, but he screams Duke, doesn't he? Oh, screams it. <laughs> screams it. I swear, it was like, uh, every Rutgers game I turned on, we're going to the monitor. Paul McKay, he's been involved in an incident. <laughs> Tripping somebody. Unbelievable. Uh, all right, pop quiz time. Freebie Friday. Jiffy Lube oil change no matter what happens here on the pop quiz. That would be 317-239-1070. I just pulled up the pop quiz. Scotty, I'm seeing two hockey questions and a horse racing question. The horse racing's easy. It's Secretariat. It is not, right, Scotty? Secretariat related, Sham. but that is not the answer on that. Uh, Freebie Friday, pop quiz, give us a call. We'll do that on the other side.